Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. We are continuing our series. Uh, it's actually a year-long focus on the three journeys of life. The inward journey, which is really about our sanctification and our uh, God getting in us. And, and God's stuff getting uh, fully saturating uh, our inner man so that we become more and more like Him. And then there's the upward journey, which is what we're going to be uh, turning to actually, uh, I think, after next month. There's four months on, on each topic, trimesters. And the upward journey is pers- uh, trimesters? Yeah, what did I say? Because you did. I just thinking babies, trimesters. <clears throat> oh, trimesters, babies. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'll try to transition through that. <laughs> I can keep going, so I'm not going to. <laughs> the next one is the upward journey, which is getting to know God and getting closer to God. And we're going to take actually two whole months and just talk about the different attributes of God and how we can grow spiritually. The whole, the whole year is really uh, focused on spiritual growth. Uh, and you, we're using the, the, the metaphor, if you will, of the three journeys as a way to understand our spiritual growth. And so growing spiritually includes understanding our inward stuff, but then understanding the upward journey of getting closer uh, to God and knowing Him better. And then the outward journey, which is uh, often a lot of people don't think of that as part of spiritual growth or discipleship, but boy, it sure is. In fact, it is the, it is the, the goal of both the inward and the upward journey is to reach the world. And to, and to reach out. And so looking at how we connect uh, what we are, who we are in God and who God is with those around us. So those are the three journeys. And we've been talking about the upward journey. There we go. I push the right button. Uh, I forget which week it was, but in the last couple of weeks, Mary Lee spoke on some practical steps. Anthony spoke on uh, the same uh, uh, inward journey uh, um, uh, theme of freedom, and he talked a lot about identity. Today, I'm going to be talking about grace, and we're going to be looking at a a verse in Titus 2.11, and it's one of my favorite verses in Scripture, actually, because it really unpacks what grace is, grace is a common term, we use it constantly, we're a grace-based church, in other words, we put an emphasis on grace, um, but a lot of people uh, don't understand what grace is, or they have a shallow understanding of grace, and, and this one little passage uh, unpacks or, or really goes deeper in giving us a, a, an understanding of what biblical grace is. Let's read it, and then we'll talk through it. It says, for the grace of God that brings salvation, has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us uh, from every lawless deed and purify uh, redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. So this is Paul writing to one of his spiritual sons, Timothy, who is a pastor. And in this letter, instructing uh, Titus, I'm sorry, uh, Titus, who is a pastor, instructing Titus 
on how to lead a church, how to pastor a church. And he, he puts in this, this short little uh, explanation about what grace is because he's, he's communicating to the next generation of church leadership, Titus and Timothy and the rest. And of course, these letters were read throughout all the churches. Um, he's communicating, hey, this is what it's all based on. This is what grace is. And uh, we're going to kind of look through this each uh, line at a time. Gr the grace of God that brings salvation. Uh, one commentator writes that uh, grace is the merciful kindness by which God, exerting His holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, increases them in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles them to the exercise of Christian virtues. All right, that's a commentator who is a uh, Greek expert, an expert of both the language and the culture, and, and an expert of in Paul's writing, and saying this is what this is what that word really means. Okay? Most of us kind of fill in grace is unmerited favor. All right, it's like getting something you don't deserve. All right, and that's true. Well, that's just kind of a, a shallow understanding of what grace is. This is a, a much fuller understanding. And grace certainly is not just a, a free pass to live sinful or selfish lives. And unfortunately, uh, once again, that teaching is kind of resurfaced in the church. It's actually a heresy um, that uh, comes around about every hundred years. Uh, at this time around, they're calling it the hyper-grace teaching or hyper-grace movement. Uh, maybe you've never heard of it. That's good. That means you're not reading the wrong books <laughs> or listening to the wrong uh, uh, preachers online or whatever. Uh, but there's a large segment and, um, uh, in, uh, in, in Christianity today that's teaching a, a version of grace that basically says that sin doesn't matter. Everyone ends up in heaven eventually anyway. Uh, <clears throat> I thought about writing a book that uh, coming up with an alternate doctrine that everyone ends up in hell. Reverse universalism. <laughs> Somehow I don't think it would sell as, as much as love wins. <laughs> Sorry, that was all just a joke. <laughs> it was a pretty funny idea though, wasn't it? <laughs> Grace is not a spiritual anesthetic that eliminates the pain or consequence of sin. That's not what grace is. It's not like, oh, well, I can sin and, and not suffer because there's grace. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, that is not a biblical representation of sin. I can give you many examples of that, but this, we need to understand what grace really is. <clears throat> grace is the antidote that frees us from the power and the poison of sin. Right? It really is. Grace is power. Okay? It's the enabling power of God upon us to eliminate sin and to produce godliness which frees us from judgment. It's not just this, this free pass when you show up before heaven like you have the grace ticket so you get in no matter what. That is not what grace is. Grace is an active force exerting holy influence kindling uh, christian virtues it's something that's powerful and deep now if you don't understand if you don't believe that 
and then you won't know how to appropriate that power. All right, and then, and then if you misuse it by thinking it's just this free pass, you'll live and waste your life being caught up in destructive behavior. It says that this grace has appeared to all men. <clears throat> grace is actually uh, universally displayed in the life of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> um, it's apparent, what this means is that it's apparent to all. It's out there for all to see. All right, it's, it's and what he's particularly, I think what is, uh, is being communicated by Paul in this passage, by God in this passage, is that it's not something secret. It's not something hidden. It's not something that's reserved for the spiritual elite. Okay, It's something that is openly displayed. God wants everyone to know that grace is available. All right. And uh, particularly in this day and the day that it was written, but even today, there are different sects or cults or, or people who teach that, well, you got to know this or study this or you get this. And, and if, if, you're, if you're fortunate enough, you uh, pray hard enough or study deep enough, then you'll experience something uh, unique or special. <clears throat> but in reality, the power of God to bring about transformation is on display. And it's been on display. It's been revealed publicly and promoted publicly for about 2,000 years, right? That's what the church has been doing passionately all over the world <clears throat> and uh and today more than ever we have the tools available to broadcast this message worldwide now it doesn't mean that all men or all people have received it yet or understand it or even heard it personally okay so when it says grace has appeared to all men it doesn't mean everybody just automatically knows it but nevertheless it is something that is openly proclaimed all right, and we need to. We, as the church, in our day, needs need to be the ones proclaiming the grace of God. But we need to proclaim grace as it truly is, as the power of God to change our lives. And this this verse actually breaks down the threefold influence uh, of grace in a person's life. The first is actively resisting ungodliness. It says that it says teaching us grace which has been revealed to all men, teaches us. So grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. I just went out. I came back in. (laughs) To deny or turn means uh, it implies an active resistance. So grace teaches us that we need to deny something. Uh, We need to resist against ungodliness and worldly lust and the picture i have is to picture someone you wake up at night and you hear something uh something going on outside you know what's 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 that racket and you you get up and there's someone trying to break into your house what are you gonna do you're gonna say hey come on come on come on let me help you no, you're going to resist. You're going to lock the door, right? You're going to put a chair in front of the door. You're going to grab a, a baseball bat or a stick. <clears throat> and if they try to get in another door, you're going to go over there and, and you're going to call 911. You're, you're not just going to let someone invade your home, right? You, need, you are actively resisting and denying, no, you cannot come in here, right? <clears throat> and that's what you would do if someone tried to break in and take your stuff or hurt you or hurt your family. Well, listen, sin... And ungodliness is constantly trying to get into your lives, all right? 
And we must be diligent to deny it. Sin is tricky, sneaky, right? It's always looking for the unlocked door or the avenue through which its influence can invade your house, invade your mind, invade your life so that it can begin to exert ungodly influences in that life and bring corruption and bring death. And grace teaches us to deny that. Teaches us how to resist against this. Listen to what God the Father said. This is way back at the beginning in the, in the story of Genesis. A lot of people don't forget this part of the story of Cain. You know, uh, Cain and Abel <clears throat> uh, both went to church and, and, and Cain's offering wasn't received, whatever that means. <clears throat> he was kind of feeling bad about it. And God spoke to him before he killed Abel. God chased him down and interacted with him. All right? Because the father wanted him to make the right choice. And listen to what he said. God said to Cain, he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? He said, listen, I want to accept you. You just need to learn how to do it right. You need to be taught. You need to be teachable. Do it the right way. If you do well, I'll teach you how to do it. I'll accept you. This is, the, this is what I want. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. All right? So it's a sin is a ravenous beast that's nipping at the door. And it has a desire to nip at your life until you're bleeding and weakened and lost. <clears throat> but uh, God said to Cain, but you should rule over it. And listen, that's the same advice God gives, the Father gives to you. All right? And to me. Sin is lying at the door. You need to learn to rule over it. How do we rule over sin? Grace. Grace, Grace teaches us how to have victory over sin. And, and turning or denying or resisting uh, ungodliness and worldly lust means that we, we turn in a different direction toward godliness. So a big part of resisting and denying is an active pursuit of godly uh, character. And that's what the second characteristic uh, that grace teaches us is actively living. In the New King James, it says we should uh, live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Um, the word for live, <coughs> Greek word zeal, it means to, uh, to, to, to breathe, to be among the living, to, to not be lifeless, not be dead, all right? Uh, to, and I like this, to enjoy real, true life. You know, vital power in itself, exerting the same upon a soul, uh, metaphorically, to be full of vigor. How many like to be vigorous? Not until I had some more coffee. <laughs> Let me thank God for coffee. Hallelujah! <laughs> All right. Well, grace is holy caffeine, right? It's, it's to make us live full of vigor. It's to give us a life and to live actively and not, uh, 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 not uh, dead. Not just So many people walk through life just dragging their, their feet, maybe not physically, but spiritually. They're just, woe is me, and just barely getting through. And it's always seeing the bad, always uh, being beat down. I'm telling you, it's, people live that way because they haven't tapped into the power of grace. All right? 
Because grace empowers and teaches us to deny worldliness, deny that sin that saps us, uh, uh, saps us of power, and to live a life vigorous, okay? Uh, to be fresh, strong, efficient, active, powerful. So grace is not passive, all right? That's what these words mean. It's not a passive influence. In fact, it's, a, it's an active influence, and it calls us, it teaches us to live actively, okay? To be strong, to be vital, and to be blessed. I just challenge you, if there's a part of your life, if there's an aspect of your life, maybe it's your work life, your home life, your, your mental life, your, your emotional life, uh, <clears throat> your physical life, that you're lacking vigor and strength and ac action, activity, <clears throat> that you're dragging, uh, uh, you know, maybe you need not just to work harder, but you need to apply some more grace. Yeah. All right? You need to infuse God's grace into that part of your life until it looks like this, until it looks vigorous. All right? And don't settle for anything less. Amen? How many want more grace? Yeah. I want more grace. I want to drink water. By grace, we take on godly character. It lists that we are to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Soberly means moderately, okay? Uh, obviously, it means not being intoxicated or under the influence of ungodly uh, uh, sources, whether they be drugs, alcohol, or uh, thought patterns, ideas, uh, cultural influences, <clears throat> that we're not to come under. And, and I've seen people that just come under, whole societies come under ungodly influences. And, and it's like they're making decisions like a drunk person would make decisions, all right? And of course, this applies to the literal intoxication of whether it be alcohol or other uh, intoxicants. We're not to live that way. That is destructive. That's not what grace produces. Grace instead produces life that is sober, moderate. <clears throat> we can enjoy uh, the good things that God has given us without uh, coming under an ungodly influence of them. And to live with a sound mind, this means a, a temperate or discreet. It means living with self-control, all right? And that means <clears throat> not that you're in control, but that you, you have yourself under God's control, yeah. all right? <laughs> this doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want, that means that what you want has been controlled by the influence of God's grace. All right? He works in us both to will, says in another place in Scripture, God works in us both to will, to desire, and to do of His good pleasure. And so when grace is active in our lives, we actually want godly things. You know? And so, and then if we're desiring things that aren't godly, then we need to realize, you know, the temptation that's on the outside isn't necessarily the biggest part of the problem. It's the fact that we have a desire inside that doesn't align with God's character. And we need to get healed. Right? Not punished. We need to get transformed so that we start desiring. So when we look at something, it's like, I would never want that. That's yucky. Who would want that? I'm just shocked at what some people want. Uh, but when you come under the influence of grace, you begin to want what's healthy, what's good, what's godly. 
uh, to live righteously. This means equitably, justly. The biblical idea of righteousness is living as we ought to. All right? In other words, living in the identity that we were created to live. All right? Not in some high standard that is unattainable, but living in the identity that you were actually intended to live. That's what righteousness means. It's not some unreachable uh, pinnacle of, of behavioral perfection. It's living in your true character, living out uh, as a son, as a daughter of God. <clears throat> and this is something that uh, grace enables and empowers and to live godly. This is a life that is devoted to God or God-honoring. Right? It's reflecting God's character. I love that the power of grace has the ability to reproduce the character of God in us. All right? God's divine attributes have been given to us. So there's a reproduction of God's character in our character so that our characteristics become more and more uh, reflective of the character of God. That is the result of grace. Now, as, as you can tell, this is just, the more I talk, the further this diverges from the idea that uh, grace is passive and a, and a free pass to live whatever you want and get away with it, all right? And the more we see that grace is actually something that produces radical transformation inwardly and outwardly. It goes on to describe what our, our activity or our lifestyle should look like. It says uh, in the New Living Translation, totally committed to doing good, uh, good, good deeds, all right? Or the message translates this next part, <clears throat> energetic in goodness. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Man, they just they get stuff done. <laughs> Zealous for good works. Man, they're passionate about changing the world, uh, seeing people set free. Grace not only frees us, listen to this, from uh, uh, morally from un ungodliness unto godliness in a moral sense, it also energizes and activ activates us to do good stuff, all right? And I think there's a problem <clears throat> within Christianity in general and certainly within the church in America uh, in that we disassociate between moral righteousness and actually doing right. <laughs> okay, like act actually helping people. You know, it's like the, the story that Jesus told of the, of the um, <clears throat> Jericho Road, what was it? Samaritan? No, the Good Samaritan, yeah. <laughs> and the rabbi described, they, had their, they knew what was right and wrong, but they didn't have time to stop and help the person that had fallen into the, into the ditch. You know, and then the Samaritan comes along who who in his culture was like, they had all the stuff wrong in their head and in the ideas, their religion was wrong, but they actually did right. They took care of the person that was fallen and hurt and, and of a different ethnicity and a different economic status and was in need. And so he just did good. <clears throat> so grace empowers us. And what we need to do is integrate 
the uh, moral aspect of godliness and the actual active aspect of living godly. It's another aspect of reproducing God's character. And it's, you know, God is not just morally good. He is constantly doing good to all. Right? He makes the sun shine on the good and the evil. He makes the rain fall on the good and the evil. He's pouring out his blessing worldwide. You know, there's problems here, there's problems there, mainly because of human depravity, uh, injustice. But that's what we're called as his representatives to come in and find a way to implement justice where there's injustice, to implement mercy where there's tyranny. Okay, and whether that be while you're driving down the street in Kalamazoo or actively influencing something that's happening in another part of our country or across the world, we are called, grace empowers us to be active in doing good. <clears throat> another place where it teaches on a grace is the key verse on grace is Ephesians. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Yay, we all believe that, right? <clears throat> so that's our part of it. We got grace. We're going to be saved. We'll get to heaven. Hallelujah. It doesn't end there. And that was not of yourself. I wanted to read that was not for yourself. <laughs> it wasn't of yourself. In other words, you didn't earn it. It's a gift of God, not of works. We got that down. Reformation taught us that. We can't work our way into heaven. You know what? 500 years, we got that down. All right? <laughs> but it goes on. <clears throat> It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So grace doesn't, you know, the teaching that, that uh, we receive grace apart from works, that we can't earn righteousness is absolutely true, but the full understanding of grace is, is that grace empowers us to do the works that we're called to do. All right, that we don't earn righteousness, but because we're made righteous by the free act of God pouring his character, his nature, his spirit, his grace into us, we can now live righteously. We can now do what the law requires. We can live morally right, and we can live justly. We can treat people fairly. We can be forgiving and kind and generous beyond our own capacity because we're operating out of the capacity of God's grace. That sound good? I think it sounds good. To live a grace-filled life, there should be ample evidence of goodliness, uh, godliness as well as goodness. Goodliness? God is good. I think that's a word, goodliness. <laughs> Actually doing good deeds, meeting these poor, depending the oppressed, healing the sick, loving those who, uh, who hate. You know, uh, grace is never self-focused, right? It changes us so that we can become like God. God doesn't sit around thinking, oh, how am I going to take care of my needs? Right. Right? He's like, I got so much, how, am I, how can I help somebody else? And that character is to be reproduced in us through grace, that we can help, that we can love on, we can pour out uh, on something else. The third aspect is actively seeking, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? The message translates... Uh, this one part, this, this new life is starting right now and is whetting our appetites for the glorious day of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. All right, and so it starts right now. 
this looking is a is a um, um, awaiting with confidence or patience, and patience means uh, unchanging consistency. All right, not sitting idly waiting. The idea of patience is often misunderstood. It means persevering without changing your your form or your behavior because you're confident of what's to come. Patience is not sitting back waiting for it to all to get over. <laughs> all right? It means to, uh, this word looking means to accept and to expect, and it can be actually translated anxiously. We are anxiously awaiting. It's like, yeah, we can't wait, right? We can't wait what? The, the appearing of Jesus. So grace should uh, produce in us expectancy, not complacency. And this is the thing that I've seen with people who misunderstand grace. And, and uh, other pastors really have, have a hard time with the whole hyper-grace movement. And I say, you know what, just don't worry about it. Uh, I don't argue with anybody that's into it. Because I know that the end result is, and this is what happens every time this doctrine comes on. The books are written, people get popular talking about it. Within a few years, they all disappear. Because there's no motivation to preach the gospel because everybody goes to heaven anyway. <laughs> There's no motivation to change the lifestyle and they end up indulging in greater and greater uh, forms of ungodly behavior which becomes more destructive to the point where their life is completely uh, ineffective or uh, fruitless if not completely godless. All right? And so very quickly that just falls apart uh, because that's not what grace is supposed to produce. Grace produces this, this anxious looking, active seeking for the revelation of the manifestation of Jesus Christ. And I think this applies not only to the future return of Jesus Christ. Yes, it applies to that without question. We're anxiously awaiting when Jesus Christ appears because uh, we know that when that happens, sin will be dealt with, Satan will be dealt with, we won't have to live in a cursed world, we'll be living in a blessed, renewed earth, Jesus on the throne, hallelujah, praise Jesus. <clears throat> but you know what? Uh, as the message conveys, this new life starts right now. Uh, it was just, just a few days ago, I, I, just, I preached this message in Vandalia last week, and I was listening to a Christian radio station, which I normally don't do. <laughs> sorry, I'm just sorry. <laughs> Because of this, the this, this song came on. The whole song was about hit the hope. I can't remember if it was a contemporary song, but I was listening to the words, and he was basically saying, our hope is in the resurrection. When, when Jesus comes, then life will be good. And, and we'll, we'll be free from everything. And oh, I can't wait. It's kind of like, uh, there were some old songs. I, you know, just waiting for the glory. You know, waiting for Jesus to come back. You know, it's good, and I'm expectantly waiting for Jesus to come back when, when the end comes. But the life of grace doesn't start then. It starts now. And in fact, if you're not living it now, you may be radically surprised when the King of Grace appears and looks at you and said, why weren't you living the life I called you to? Who are you? I don't even know who you are. <clears throat> Because you were thinking, 
it's all going to change when Jesus comes back. And Jesus said, it all changed on the cross when I died for your sin and you were set free from the power of sin by the grace that was displayed on the cross. And when Jesus rose from the dead, yeah, come on. When Jesus rose from the dead, his resurrection power is available now. Now. Every sin, every sickness, every, every oppression, every depression, every attack of the enemy, and I'm not saying those things aren't real. They're very real. I know them very personally. But I have the victory over them through what Jesus accomplished. All right? And so we are to live this now. All right? We live in the power of grace right now. <clears throat> and so we actively seek the manifestation of Jesus Christ now. It happens every time we choose righteousness instead of unrighteousness, okay? We choose to react godly instead of ungodly. Uh, every time we choose to do good instead of not doing good, all right? And you have these choices every day where you can do good. You can be, be a little sacrificial by helping someone out or doing something uh, to bless someone else as a way of manifesting Jesus now, all right? Every time you communicate the truth about Jesus Christ to someone, uh, verbally or through your actions, when you communicate what Jesus did, you're manifesting Jesus. Every time we pray and believe for the power of God to come on a body that's riddled with sickness and see them healed, uh, we're gonna be, I'm going to tell some testimonies this afternoon. You want to come. I even have some pictures of, of in, in Mexico. Mark and I were in Mexico. Uh, it's now two weeks ago. I can't believe it. We saw more healings than I've ever seen in that week of meetings. <clears throat> but when we pray for someone who's sick and they get healed, that's a manifestation of Jesus. Every time we give sacrificially, that's a manifestation of Jesus Christ. Uh, and we are to live. Grace teaches us to actively uh, seek out ways that we can manifest Jesus in the here and now. Uh, it says, who gave himself, and it kind of summarizes up this thought. He says, you know, Jesus gave himself that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. This is so Paul's, uh, Paul's, Paul's actually saying what I just said. <laughs> This is, this is the message of what he wrote here. He's referring to what happened. So he just talked about, hey, this is what we're looking forward to. But remember, this has happened. Jesus gave, past tense himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. That's it for the here and now. And purify for himself his own special people. That's God's work, the Holy Spirit's work, grace's work in our lives to make us special people, people that are zealous for good works, for doing good. He gave himself for us. He redeemed us from everything destructive, everything contrary to his nature. He, he gave himself to purify us, to transform us, to, to remake us from the inside out. And he has the power to do that. But then he gave himself to equip us. Everything you need to live this life and to do the works that God has called you to do. Everything you need. He is the equipper. Right? You go to war, you don't have to buy your own tank or, or, or jet or aircraft carrier. Right? You don't even have to buy your own clothes. You show up, 
and they give you all the stuff. They teach you how to use it. And they put you out there and say, go for it. Right? Same thing in the kingdom of God. You show up. You give yourself. And he'll redeem you. He'll change you. He'll purify you. He'll train you, right? And then he'll equip you. He'll give you the stuff you need uh, to get done what he's called you to do. This is the gospel of grace, right? And this is really what uh, a grace-based salvation looks like. If you're in this room and you've never experienced this kind of grace, maybe you've accepted Jesus as your Lord, but you always just saw it as, oh, that means I get into heaven and I don't have to go to hell or I don't have to pay for my sin. I accept that truth on kind of like an intellectual level or even a spiritual uh, moral level, but you've never seen grace come in and, man, do a work in your soul, uh, a work in your mind, a work in your body that makes you different. Uh, that's what salvation is. And accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior is accepting an infilling of that grace to come and transform you. And it's easy. It's not complicated. It doesn't take years of schooling. It just takes a willingness of heart to say, yes, I believe. Whoever believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord, that He's God, that He reigns, and that God the Father rose Him from the dead, all right? that the resurrection really happened, that Jesus came as God displayed in a human form to teach us who God really is, to demonstrate His character, His love, His healing power. <clears throat> if you believe that, and you believe that God rose him from the dead, that he is, he's living and he's going to come back again. You accept that. You accept that grace into your life. This is a simple prayer. It's just say, Father, just let's, let's all pray this out loud together, will you? Even if you've accepted it, maybe for the one or two in the room that haven't, or if you haven't experienced it fully, or, or if, you, if you've done it, but then you haven't been living it, and you, wanna, you want a new dose of grace, just pray this out loud with me, will you? Say, Father, we come in the name of your Son, Jesus. And Jesus, we believe. I believe you are Lord. And I believe that God raised you from the dead. And that you rule and reign in heaven. And that you will return and set all things in order. And I dedicate my life to you. And I ask you to fill me with your grace that changes me to be like you. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, well, you just got saved if you weren't already. If you said that in a minute. <clears throat>